The tragedy of your times, my young friends, is that you may get exactly what you want. Welcome to Movies That Rock, a rock and roll journey through cinema. I'm your host, Josh Fitzgerald. In this episode, we'll be talking about one of the most enigmatic and fascinating of all rock movies, The Monkey's 1968 feature film, Head. To join in this discussion today, I have two very special guests with me from one of my favorite podcasts. You can find them on the Pods and Sods Network as co-hosts of the same Pagecast, which is a podcast about movies, music, and all things monkeys related. It is my great honor and thrill to welcome to the show today megan stemwade and craig smith hey guys we're here finally yay this has been such a long time coming <laughs> it, it literally has been a year uh, yeah. since we you and i started planning things mm-hmm. honestly well, we'll... this podcast was just an excuse to hang out with you guys so hey i love it, I, I love it. thanks again for coming and um Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, like you said, we're, our show is called Same Page Cast. It's on the Pods Inside Network, samepagecast.com. Mm-hmm. Um, little plug. We talk <laughs> about, actually, our little theme song is we talk about films and we talk about songs. Can you guys sing it's it a blast. real quick? Just as a... <laughs> we talk about songs and we talk about, about films. films. Oh, oh, what a blast. blast. The girl is Megan. And the boy is Craig. It's, it's the, the same page. Cast. That has been the Bravo. first live version of That's that right. ever. This is, I have history now recorded in my That's computer. Right. Wow. <laughs> oh, that was indulgent. It was enjoyable. It was great. <laughs> Take two with guitar. No, I'm yeah, kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I kidding. have a mandolin sitting in my corner. I'll break that out. Oh, my God. Do you have oh, a mandolin? I love it. I, I know like two chords. The same page cast theme is only two more chords than that. So you could totally figure it out. That's within... true. Yeah, we talk about um, movies and music. We've been doing a lot of content about the monkeys lately. We've been going over their sessions um, chronologically. So that's been a big um, sort of side project called Sound of the Sunset, Sound of the Sea. And if you're a Monkeys mm. fan, you know that is a lyric. Um, yes. But yeah, so we're here to talk about the monkeys um, with you today, tonight, Josh. Josh, I cannot wait. I can call you that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will accept that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's same page um, and, is kind of yeah. more metamorphosized into a predominantly monkeys podcast for the most part. I kind yeah, of we, we know what evolution. our audience wants. Yeah. yeah. So, Craig, you're actually coming out of semi-retirement to do this. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, I was just telling Megan today for being retired, doing a lot of podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like your plate's yeah. gotten fuller since you've emptied it. <laughs> Yeah, I Andy's see. heading to a podcast. Uh, oh yeah, conference. going to the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. Oh, you are going I'm to that. I'm not sure when this episode is dropping, but next weekend that's where I'll be. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, I, I haven't been producing as much content, but I'm trying yeah. to uh, at least guest on podcasts where people will have me. So thank you for uh, giving me and Megan something to talk about tonight. Absolutely. Currently, I know that. You're in the semi-retirement phase because you're working on a book. I don't know if you can talk about that at all or if that's kind of under wraps. But Jesus, that book. I know. It's, it's going to be the public, death of me. I was going to say that's kind of like the thorn in your side, you know, isn't it? No, it's it's total public knowledge. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a book that I'm working on with a fellow named Derek Miner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to run a, a monkeys website called monkeysmixography.com. It's no longer there. 
but it was chronicling every mix uh, available on every variation of every U.S. Monkeys album. Wow. And it was kind of unfinished, and mm. I found some errors and took it offline and thought, this would re be a really nice book, and it's the kind of work that really deserves a book. Yeah. And when I got a partner in on it, we started to go down crazy rabbit holes, and we found things that we didn't know about, mm -hmm. and then it got to the point where it was like, we need to sync every version of every's monkeys, every monkey's track against every other version of said track and find everything that there is to talk about in terms of difference and variation. So wow. it's a... Uh, it's been a lot. Uh, I wish I had more time to work on it, hence my yeah. semi-retirement uh, from podcasting. But sure. uh, yeah, it's 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 a fun fun endeavor, but it's uh, definitely it's taking a ton of time. crazy extensive. I can't even imagine. I didn't even know where to start for something like well, that. Well, the issue is when you're working on it with somebody, like his mm -hmm. work affects mine and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So if I find he's kind of working on television episode stuff right oh, okay. now. And I'm working on uh, mixes found throughout the LPs. But if he finds something that we didn't know about, that kind of throws off everything we've done so far. And then mm -hmm. things that are referenced throughout the book then need to be changed. So it's, you know, yeah. there's a lot of kind of back and forth and, and a need to have crazy amounts of communication about that sort of thing. Yeah, but sure. I am confident that when it's done, it is going to be uh, unlike, and, and there are great monkeys books out there, mm -hmm. but there will be nothing like this. It will, it will yeah. be uh, the sort of extensive that people will look at it. And a lot of people will say, Jesus Christ, what a waste of time. <laughs> and I will be completely proud of that. <laughs> that in and of itself is an accomplishment. I'm trying Absolutely. to, maybe it's just my ignorance, but I'm kind of hard pressed to think of a book like that in like ever in, in any band. Like I don't think the Beatles even have anything like that. I could be they wrong, do. But... The, you know what? My book uh, or the idea for this book was um, John C. Wynn put out a couple mm -hmm. books, uh, Lifting Latches, Way Beyond Compare, and That Magic Feeling. Mm -hmm. And they go through every bootleg version of every track, um, and they're all cross-referenced in a beautiful way. And there mm -hmm. are other books he's put out that kind of follow the same format. Um, mm -hmm. But for other bands, no, not a lot. This is the kind of stuff you'll find more on a website. Like oh, okay. there, there have been great websites that were discography based that would kind of go into differences, um, mm -hmm. but not. You're, you're right. Not a lot of books that kind of watch people write now that uh, you know will give you a whole list of them. But yeah. uh, I, I still think that this one will have detail that really is is over the top. Yeah, which in is in good and bad ways. Right. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Well, I got to give you a lot of kudos for all that hard work that you're doing, and I can't wait to right. have the book. And it, is it going to be like a digital and physical version, or only physical, only digital, or some, yeah, something we're talking about? The original plan was to have a physical copy first because mm -hmm. it kind of deserves that. I for know sure. if it, I know if both are out there at the same time, the the printed one will probably suffer. Yeah, but it's the printed one I want to see. Uh, because a digital version is nothing more than a flatter version of the website, yeah, which yeah. is something that you know uh, could be put together fairly easily. Mm -hmm. So I think it deserves a book and then maybe a digital version down the line and yeah. an updated website that will have some of the content of the book. But you can, you can read an excerpt right now at oh yeah, at, uh, oh, really? mixinglinks.com. Yeah, you can find oh, the excerpt okay. for Circle Sky. Um, 
which is uh, which was you know the mm-hmm. the first complete entry that we we did together. Which is appropriate since tonight we're going to talk about. We'll talk about it. You want to know anything about the mixes? I'm your guy. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. <laughs> so in case people didn't realize what we're talking about, we are going to be discussing the movie Head tonight, which is obviously by the Monkees. Um, before we get into that, though, I kind of wanted to know a little bit about Craig and Megan your your background with. Getting into the monkeys, I know you've talked about it a lot, pretty extensively on other podcasts. But what are your kind of unique stories about falling in love with the monkeys, essentially? Because you guys are really are are the knowledge masters of everything monkeys. <laughs> we stand the monkeys, as the kids say these days. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're cute because I wanted to ask you about that. I'd like to know oh, your sure. origin story. Mine so is... you you tell us first. Okay. You first. Well, I know that there's like. A couple different generations of monkeys fans you have you know the original fans from the 60s and then the second wave i think that's kind of like your more generation like the mtv in the 80s mm-hmm. yeah. um and then mine was sort of a decade after that in the mid 90s when nick and knight started showing the monkey show because i was a real nick and knight kid i watched it every night and they would do the block party summer thing like a mini marathon at night during the summer and i'd, I'd heard of the monkeys i think i knew I'm a believer, but I didn't really like my dad never listened to them. My uncle never listened to them. So they didn't they were never on my radar. So I started watching the show and it was right up my alley. Um, but I didn't have the re- you know, I wasn't old enough to have the resources and I didn't have access like we didn't have the Internet and whatnot. So I kind mm-hmm. of just started to immerse myself in the show whenever it was on. And once I started getting allowance, I would save up. And I, I think the first CD I bought by them was Instant Replay. I love it. Yeah, (laughs) it was like 96, I think. Um, That's nuts. Yeah, (laughs) it was the original. I still have all of my original CDs sitting behind me from, and I have like four copies of all the albums now, but. Perfect. Oh, that's great. And um, it snowballed from there. I don't want to say I fell out of favor with the series, but I kind of, as I got into the music more, I, I, the the show took a backseat and I stopped watching it uh, for the most part. And I just mm. really kind of just dove into all the albums, all the missing links. Um, I remember when I was just getting into them when Justice came out. That was a real exciting thing that they were, you know, getting back together. Although 20 years later, yeah. that, that excitement for that particular album has kind of diminished a little <laughs> bit. But. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a fun time. All that merchandise was in yeah. Spencer's then. Do you remember that? Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I graduated in 03 and I went to college. And. That was kind of like my uh, my lost weekend because I stopped listening to all the music I grew up with. <laughs> um, yeah. And you, I just, you know, I was too cool for that. And, you know, when, what you listen to as a kid doesn't really, during that time, at least for me, it didn't really have any interest in me anymore. So, and then I well, ended Well, if that up... was the case, Megan would still be listening to Color Me Bad. <laughs> <laughs> you don't still listen to Color you... Me Bad, really? <laughs> Oh, come on. Everyone still listens to color. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Very quickly, my story about that is I live mm. in the, I grew up in the Bible Belt and mm. there were two major radio stations and one of them edited that song, censored that song, their big song, so that it was, I want to flex you up instead of I want to sex you up. I almost like that better. It, 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 yeah. has, <laughs> it can mean many it things. It has an I, image oh. that popped into my head for sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, please. It's great. Ahead. So, so I got back into the monkeys about seven years ago. This is a really bizarre story because I, um, I was in grad school for ESL and I did an overseas program in Tanzania and Africa. 
and oh I was there for three months. Wow. Yeah, I know it's crazy. It feels like a time warp that like I never actually did it. But um, <laughs> when we first got there, we did a three day safari and um, it was in the middle of the of the Masai Mara area. And every day we would have lunch in a little hut in the middle of the, you know, the field where they do the safari. And I remember the first day I went in to get my lunch and they had um, just like two little tables and a couple sitting areas you could eat. And they had one of those rollaway TVs, you know, that they used to have in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the TV, they were showing the making of the monkeys, like a documentary in the middle of Africa. I know the, like, I know the one you're was, talking about. It, yeah, it was it was like the weirdest like cognitive dissonance. I'm like, I'm in the middle <laughs> on the other side of the world. In the middle of a safari with, you know, the people in the, you know, the native garb and the neck things and everything walking around. And they're showing this monkeys documentary. And I was just, it really caught me off guard. And I just was kind of half watching it the whole time while everybody was eating. And I'm like, I kind of miss them. I need to go back and listen to their catalog again. And I just went full force and haven't looked back since. So. Wow. That's an amazing story. It's pretty crazy. I think I have somewhere in one of my hard drives. I remember taking a video of that showing on the TV while I was eating, and I think I have it somewhere. If I can find it, I'll send it to you guys. It's oh, that's awesome. Great. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my story. That's such a great story. Oh, my gosh. It is <laughs> funny the things that, that reconnect you with mm-hmm. something that you've, you know, you've sort of fallen away from. I don't know that I've ever totally fallen away from them. They've always mm-hmm. just sort of been present in my life. My parents loved yeah. them, so I was aware of them kind of forever. They had the first two albums. Um mm-hmm. I remember seeing them um, when I was really, really little, probably in the early, late 70s or early 80s on Saturday reruns. Those memories are really vague, but I've always been aware of them. And then, of course, the 86 reunion, as I've talked about in other episodes, was like my big... Oh my God, I love these guys so much, and <laughs> and because my parent, my parents took me to see the concert because they wanted to see the concert, so that was fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've never really looked back. It's they've always been. Um, part of my life sometimes in in you know more intensity than others but I'd say the last 10 years I've certainly just been totally immersed and and with the the way too early um loss of Davy Jones Uh, it's been an interesting um gosh how long has it been six years it's been an interesting time to when there's been so much more um you know music from them and tours Mm -hmm. from from the rest of them um it's been quite a resurgence and an interesting experience it's amazing kind of how much their legacy has just expanded in the past eight years it's yeah. unbelievable yeah I, not I, something if you know you could not have if you told me in 86 that i would be seeing you know mike with them uh, a oh, couple of decades later i never would have believed you and you yeah. know it's just it's been quite a ride yeah lately. i think my one bummer as a fan is i've only seen them once and it was without mike so Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. It was kind of unfortunate. The one t- the time they played in Buffalo with Mike, I was living out of town, so I couldn't go. So, oh, oh no. that's too bad. Yeah, it was it's kind yeah, these, of a shame. I know Mike shows have been. We, I, you know, I could, I could do a whole, and hopefully we will sometime, just a whole discussion about this, this new era yeah. and yeah. Davy and just, you know, it's all been really something, but anyway, mm. they're, they're just a, they're a huge part of my life as, as anybody yeah. who's maybe heard us on, on our show knows, but, um, I love them so much and I'm super excited to talk about their movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe the, the, the better question would be what, what was it that drew you to them initially? Oh. Not, not even so much like how did you find them, but what was the appeal for you, for both of you guys? I, do you have a go ahead for me it was um 
strangely enough, even at the age of 13, it was nostalgia because I remember for me at the age of like, uh, I don't know, six or seven when they were being shown on in syndication in the early 80s. I remember seeing the monkeys. And for me, it was kind of like, you know, a TV show like Hogan's Heroes or something like that that would, you know, that I would have classified into that. Uh, it doesn't really fall into this, but like you're homesick and these are the shows you watch that day yeah, uh, that they show. Um, and then I remember in 1986, I remember seeing in the TV guide that MTV was going to start showing the monkeys. And I, I vaguely remembered it. And mm-hmm. they were having the the first monkeys marathon on MTV. And I caught the last two episodes and like memories just came oh, flooding wow. back of like the closing credits. And I was like, I totally remember this. <laughs> and I, I don't remember like uh, my sister had had an album mm-hmm. that uh, was the album that you got when you sent in X number of cereal box tops and a dollar fifty. Uh, <laughs> and it was called the monkeys golden hits. And it was still in our basement, probably not touched since 1971. <laughs> and I pulled it out and started listening to it immediately. And I remember hearing Valerie on there, which I had just heard on the episode that I had just watched. And it was like, it was just one of those moments where like, it seemed so fascinating and just a kind of, yeah. that kind of thing at a time where maybe I needed something to latch onto. And yeah. that, um, my mother had died like right before Christmas oh. that year, Christmas, mm-hmm. 1986. And for Christmas, um, my sisters had gotten me the whole stack of Rhino LPs, which had just been re-released. And I remember sitting on Christmas morning, it, it just going through every song on every album, and it was just like finding a gold mine. And it was at a time wow. where I really needed a distraction. Absolutely. And I wow. think that it definitely imprinted the monkeys into my DNA for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. Just you know, because to me, they really represent happiness at a time when I when I really needed it and for many times and many years that followed and so you know it's just a very very special thing for me so that's that's basically what you know what it comes down to for me there would be people that would criticize me for it but you know those people uh, probably have the same feeling about Aerosmith which is ridiculous or Star Wars or Or, yes yeah right Beyonce Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying, buddy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Another question I know you guys have been asked endlessly, but maybe like top three songs? Would you do you have? Are you unprepared for that? <laughs> no, oh, I yeah, can, yeah. I can come good. up with something. Yeah. First, I'm just going to talk about appeal for a second. Oh, of course. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to jump over you. I, I apologize. No, it's fine. I think it's really interesting, Craig, that you mentioned like watching the show, hearing Valerie going and pulling out that record and then hearing the song. And I, cause that rings a bell for me about, I remember at being at the 96 concert mm-hmm. and seeing them come out and thinking they were on TV and now they're in front of me. Mm-hmm. And it was like this really powerful thing mm-hmm. because I didn't have, I didn't have the direct, you know, tragedy like you did in your youth, but I had some tough stuff mm-hmm. in my youth that in my childhood that television was a really safe place. Yeah. yeah. And so seeing these guys, real in front of me and they were so funny then you know like Mm -hmm. their whole shtick from especially in like 87 and on but was just clowning and being up there and really connecting with their television personas yeah and i just felt Mm -hmm. like 
this magical safe place. It, it's funny. And it's the same thing. I feel so much joy because of that joy that they would bring me. Yeah. No, I'm getting That is emotional. true. No. It's <laughs> funny you should say that because I have a very similar thing. The first time I didn't see them in 86, which is the first time they came around again. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw them in 87 and I was, uh, like I said, Christmas 86 was the year of monkeys for me. Mm-hmm. And their 86 tour was very hits heavy. Yeah. And they put out a, a limited edition live album from that tour. So I knew kind of what I was going to hear in 87 but mm-hmm. when when that 87 show was was so jam-packed with deep album cuts and things like that that like i thought they are performing to me because mm-hmm. there is nobody else in this audience that knows <laughs> long title yeah there is nobody else in this audience that knows through the looking glass right. like it was right. it was like it, it was just tenfold more special than everything that i had heard about the year before so it was like you know, another one of those moments where it was like, you know, I spent this time discovering this catalog, you know, and listening to these albums end on end and every ridiculous song that was in there. And <laughs> and it felt like you were being rewarded for being a fan because they yeah. weren't just coming out and playing to the, uh, you know, uh, our mothers that were there with us or whatever, yeah. you know, who, who had grown up on the television show. Uh, it it was like the people who appreciated the catalog, yeah. And that '87 tour, it is just a sin that there was never anything released from that tour because the set yeah. you could go at on online, look up the set list for that tour. It is amazing what they played. On just that the tour. fact that you said long title, I'm sitting here going like, wow, he got to hear that live. That's crazy. I've heard it live a couple times. They wow. they pulled it out again in '89. They've done it on the last couple tours. Uh, but yeah, but it's I mean, amazing. they did stuff stranger than that. Like they did "Hold On, Girl" in '87. Oh, wow, stuff that I never play ever, ever again after that. That's, um, that's incredible. Upon my feet, which they do now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was wonderful. Absolutely wow. wonderful. That's yeah. You guys like the only t- show that I saw them and they played for like maybe forty minutes, and oh, it was just wow. you know it's just like a hits collection and you know it was what people wanted to hear. So this was. Oh man, maybe like fifteen years ago. I don't remember the exact year. Vicky, um, Peter, and Davy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I, I think I saw that tour as well, like mm-hmm. two thousand two, two thousand three. Yes. Well, were they? Yes, that sounds right. Well, well it, no, it was Peter leaves of that tour. Yeah. Isn't that? Well, that's two thousand one summer tours where Peter leaves. I think. Hmm. But then I. Oh. Hmm. Peter was, that, was, was there. Vicky and Davey. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it had to be around 2001. 2001. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds. Yeah. yeah. That. It was definitely the early aughts, somewhere uh-huh. around there. Yeah. Not not a great yeah. show to see either. They put out a DVD yeah. from that tour, and I hate it. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a, pretty... that was a that was a rough show. After that, yeah. I wasn't sure I wanted to see them again because I turned, thought yeah, I had seen the three of them many times by that point, and I was kind of like, I think I've seen them do what they're going to do. That's yeah, why it these was last stale. Two tours have been so shocking. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is yeah. why when you know and, in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> horrible that their last tour with Davy in 2011 was maybe one of the best times I saw them because mm-hmm. it was. Just if Mike would have joined the tour the following year and Davey would have still been with us, it all of this would have been could have been oh. tremendously different. <laughs> but like yeah. 2001, another killer set list. Amazing to see Davey do things like Someday Man, which I had never seen before. 2000, what did I say? Wow, Someday oh, Man. Oh, wow. 2011, yeah. Yeah, Someday Man. Isn't that crazy? Unbelievable. Yeah. I don't <laughs> think you know me. All of your toys, like that. Just, oh, the set list was wow. amazing. That's, but anyway, I'm sorry. I'm no, no, no. That's that's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, it's 
for me, I guess just it, it caught me at a, a you know, at a at the perfect age. You know, I was about nine, maybe ten years old. It was really into the Beatles, and you know the the, the you know, the kind of the standard issue rock groups that everybody gets into when they're that age. And yeah, the slapstick appealed to me and the music didn't, re- didn't really stand out to me when I was watching it on TV. I don't know, maybe you disagree, but in the series, they didn't seem to highlight the music so much. It was more about the, the, the sitcom aspect of it. So I didn't Yeah, really... it was incidental most yeah. of the time. Yeah. yeah. So that, so for I kind me, of... it was like, uh, you know, for me, having watched the series for, I can't even remember how many months it was until I received all these albums, mm-hmm. but like to go looking, I remember looking for Daily Nightly. I'm like, what is a song that questions but no answers? Because yeah. it doesn't say the title in the song. Yeah, and yeah. I remember dropping the needle on every album looking for specific songs I'd heard in the television show. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was, it was a, a crazy, uh, um, great way to sell the records on a kid like me because mm-hmm. I was loving the music. So it's, it's yeah. interesting that it wasn't like that for everybody. It, yeah. You know, it's interesting too. If you watch season one, um, you really do hear last year in Clarksville, I'm a believer over and over and over again. Yeah. yeah. And then when you get into season two, you get to that like Pisces era stuff. And I think if you catch casually catch reruns, you're probably predominantly going to hear Last year in Clarksville a lot. Yeah, I'm a believer a lot, and yeah. it's fun. But you're right. just sort of like, well, that's cute. You know, it's when interesting, I was 13, Megan. I think that, that footage in the Rainbow Room. Yeah, I was like, this is this is the monkeys I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of. It was kind of the Rainbow Room stuff that first caught my ear, and I think you're right, Megan. I think part of the reason for me is that you kept hearing the same songs over and over again, so they lost mm-hmm. some of their charm after a while. So yeah, if you watch that. In production order, you start to lose your mind on the 90th oh. time with Lester and Clarkson. Well, you know, the other thing is, when we when we grew up on these, on Nickelodeon, a lot of those songs were swapped out with, uh, like, the summer reruns. Mm-hmm. They would substitute songs from headquarters in and things like that. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah, so, so you know, we kind of grew up with those versions. And then when these box sets come out, they revert back to the original run uh, versions that we'd never seen before. So mm-hmm. Megan and I found a list from Melanie Mitchell's book, uh, Monkey Magic, which is definitely recommended, mm-hmm. uh, of all the episodes in production order, and we watched them in that, that order, and good God, you want to strangle yourself <laughs> when you get to seven episodes in a row with I'm a Believer. Yep, slash Clarksville. Y- yeah, yeah, either or. I mean, you know, no offense, Neil Diamond, I'm a Believer is enjoyable, but not that many times in a row. <laughs> It's funny, there's a, a station out of Canada that I get at my house that's just been starting to rerun the monkeys lately, and I've been watching it a little bit more and kind of getting oh, into that's it. Fun. It's been and it's been like probably fifteen, twenty years since I've taken time to watch the series and it's been fun. It's yeah. been a cool cool trip. Yeah, the Blu-ray was definitely a great way for us to rediscover it. Because I yeah. probably never would have watched those DVDs again. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I watched them when they first came out. And it's yeah. like you burn out when you watch them all at once. Well, the menus on those DVDs were so freaking loud. Oh, they were horrible. Horribly <laughs> really mastered. And there wasn't a play all. <laughs> there were, there so you wasn't. you couldn't just like chill out and binge. Like no, content-wise, this Blu-ray set was oh. absolutely the way to go. Yeah. But yeah, we, we were going for favorite songs. Did you? Have oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that back around. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, favorite songs is tough. Tough three songs. Ooh, tough, tough. Um, yeah. As we go along. Perfect. Um, yep. I'm pulling my hair, literally, because it's tough. I don't know that one. Yeah. <laughs> is that a B-side? It's not a B-side. You should look it up. Mm. Missing Links um, 4. It, it's, it's in my book. Yeah. I Won't Be the Same Without Her. Great. Instant Replay. Yep. Favorite album, and um, which you didn't ask, but I'm slipping that in. (laughs) 
And um, uh, for the heck of it tonight, I'm going to go with the TV edit of I'll Be Back Upon My Feet. Ooh, oh, good version, choice. version one. Yeah, good version choice. One. Yeah. Nicely done. Thank you. favorite is you and i uh from the instant replay album wow really love it great choice i kind of unexpected but great choice Following right behind that from the same album, last song on that side, Shorty Blackwell, Mickey Dolan's Interesting. Vehicle. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I you know, that. I, no, I, I, I do really like that song. I, I think the only reason that I, I wouldn't put it like as a top tier monkey song for me is I, I have trouble getting past the novelty feel of it i get it you know what i mean i get it mm-hmm. like i remember like my brother's a huge monkeys fan too and i it, him and i would have like texting wars where i would say like i am i am i am my like we'd go back and forth like that kind of <laughs> thing <it>. so <laughs> so it's oh i mean God. it's it's fun i don't know i think mickey has, has done better personally but but i totally support it being in a top three because it's not a song you're going to see a lot of in people's top three top three songs i'm feeling very bad today It followed me around, but never touched the ground. What can I say? He built a house upon a hill. Ask him if he's happy, and then give him a pill. He's going mad. I just—it's so completely ambitious on his part, and. Uh, you know, here's a, here's a funny Shorty Blackwell story I'll, uh-huh. I'll tell real quick. And uh, uh, and then I'll give my number three, which everybody's waiting for. Yes. Um, I met Mickey in 91. Wow. I was a very, very annoying 17, 18-year-old. <laughs> and a friend of mine got us backstage. He was doing a tour with, like, Bobby Boris Pickett and Tiny Tim. It was just like a, a review of 60s stars. Yeah. It was uh, kind of when the monkeys weren't doing anything after the 89 tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine, her father worked for a radio station. We had, like, all day backstage passes. So, literally, we were wow. hanging out at the trailers. That's um, crazy. And I was playing ball with kids that I realized later their flat faces gave away the fact that they were Mickey's daughters. <laughs> uh, it was It was a very surreal day. And... Uh, Mickey was walking around with an acoustic guitar, and I don't know what gave me the audacity to think that I could go up to this man and start a conversation. <laughs> but he was getting ready to release uh, Mickey Dolan's Put You to Sleep, which is, uh, I think it was around that time. Oh, I love that album so Yeah, much. it's a great album, yeah. which was kind of like a lullaby album. Pillow time. And 
Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if it was this or something he was working on after, but I went up to him and I said, uh, you're working on a new album. And he looked at me and he gave me that Mickey smile and he just strummed a chord that kind of said, um, please don't bother me. <laughs> and uh, I said to him, is there going to be anything on it like Shorty Blackwell? Oh my God, at which he point didn't. He walked away. <laughs> Uh, so when I met oh him God, at a monkey's convention a few years ago, it was a thing where they were selling monkeys, uh, snare drum or, uh, drum heads mm-hmm. and you could have him write uh, a name of a song title and he would sign it. So I had him sign it shorty Blackwell that's amazing. and he said, Oh, that's a great song. And I was like, God damn it. That's right. <laughs> redeemed. Finally, after this many, you've been years. validated. So my opinion bears no <laughs> weight. He, you've gotten your approval on shorty Blackwell. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I can totally envision him walking long. around with uh, that little, like, I don't know, that kind of sour puss he has and just strumming and walking away. <laughs> I can still picture it now. And I was annoying. I'll take my responsibility for sure. it. Uh, and third we all are when we're is a, yeah. Uh, third would be a, a, a Michael Nesmith vehicle called St. Matthew, which oh, was. Oh, I uh, love that song. Reco- yeah, recorded in 68, and and for reasons that are ridiculous, mm-hmm. never made a Monkees album and didn't get released until like 1989 on a Missing Links album. She walked around on brass rings that never touch her feet. She speaks in conversations that never are complete. And looking over past things that she has never done. Those those are my three. Sorry, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure long title was in the running. That would have been number four. Okay, well, that's fair. A real fair one would have been four. Because then at okay. least all of them could, I mean, we you could do exactly two what you're more. doing. Great drama. <laughs> I guess I got to do mine now. Um, yeah. Yes. Please. See, I guess the problem with mine is they're not ranked. I, I don't really believe in ranking. So I just pick three that I kind of go to the most. Porpoise Song mm-hmm. would definitely be right mm-hmm. at the top. Wonderful. I, I think it's one of the, we'll get into that more, but I think it's one of the, the great songs of the 60s and possibly mm-hmm. of all time. Ladies Aid that Society. Ladies Aid Society. <laughs> and, uh, Probably never tell a woman yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, very nicely done. And that is Thank why you. Uh, the monkey's changes is better than the monkey's present. <laughs> Absolutely. Two ridiculous songs. I kind of want to pick I Won't Be the Same Without Her, but I don't want to double up. <laughs> so, you can. We're all yeah, friends. I guess. Oh, good song, though. Door into Summer. Perfect. Oh, okay. I guess I go with Tapioca Tundra. Oh, nice. Nice. We have yeah. specific memories about that yeah. one. Uh, the, the final concert, right? Or the last oh, concert you uh, saw? Yeah. It was amazing. Final in quotes. Yeah, yeah final. It wasn't quite final. <laughs> it's yeah. as final as Cher's farewell tour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All exactly. eight of them. Um, I guess we'll talk about what we're here to talk about, the movie. The yeah. the famous monkeys movie, Head. 
um, which is actually celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. I'd actually forgotten about that oh. until this afternoon. Yeah. I don't know December? exactly. Was it December? I believe it was December. Yeah, I feel it's either late November or, you know, this is something we've been having a problem with, with mm-hmm. writing our book. Uh, we cannot find solid monkeys dates for the releases of the records. Hmm. Uh, every book we found has something different. Wow. Even um, works by the same author and liner notes for CDs that have been released fluctuate. So we actually have a spreadsheet that lists like every release and like the seven different release dates we found for each one. And Derek has like scoured Billboard looking for when they first hit the charts to try to narrow down like, you know, the day they mm-hmm. came out. It's been tremendously difficult. The The date I see most for the album is December 1st, uh, okay. which could or couldn't be correct. Um, and the movie, uh, I can't remember the exact date on the movie. I, I should, November 6th, 1968. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> well uh, done. There, there's probably way more, um, uh, to, you know, way more literature about that that would pin it to an exact yeah. date. Yeah. Yeah. Much easier to find the, re- the release date for an album. That kind of surprises me that there's yeah. such a disconnect because I would think that knowledge would be pretty common. Or easy yeah, to come by. it's it, it's so strange. You know, yeah. some of them some of them are off by like a month. You know, so like yeah. uh, there are some where I've been like, okay, we can put like uh, May of this year for this album, and he's like, yeah, but this one says June, and it's like, Jesus Christ, we can't even narrow it down <laughs> to the same month. Uh, yeah, so that's crazy. Yeah. It sounds like the job for a researcher to go and start digging into some newspapers. Uh, yeah. if, if, uh, are you looking for a credit in this book? Oh, hey. Okay. <laughs> so 1968. The monkeys put out head and I just phoned this out there now. Um, and I, like I said, I haven't seen a lot of rock and roll films, but head holds the distinction of being my absolute number one favorite rock and roll movie of all time. Oh, like by, really? by a long like shot. That. It is my top three are number three is the Elsa Marine. Number two, I'm not a Rolling Stones fan, but my number two movie is Gimme Shelter just because I think it's I a powerful agree. story. Yeah. You know what? I, I watched it within the last year and read a book mm-hmm. on it. And Megan wow. and I were going to watch it together. We haven't. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. never seen that. Yeah, we wanted oh, to do an so episode good. on that. It's yeah. so good. Maybe we that can be our next collaboration. I would, I would love that. What yeah. When did that come out? 69. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of looked at as, the, I don't want to get too into this, but it's looked at as kind of like the the dark side of 69 yeah. right after Woodstock. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, seen it's, as it's almost kind of like the death of, of the 60s dream, which in a way is yeah. kind of a good companion piece for this movie in a way, because there's a lot of destructive elements to yeah. what this movie yeah. shows too. And then, yeah, Head my number is my number one. Yeah. So, yeah. When, when did you see it for the first time? Oh, I around the same time that I was kind of getting into music. So probably about 20 years ago, I bought the VHS. Okay. I got it for like five bucks at a media play. <laughs> oh, wow. And nice. I'm like, oh, yeah, they have a movie. And I, I read somewhere that it was really weird. And um, <laughs> and I got to say, like this, it's not even like a hyperbole to say this, but as soon as I saw it, it, it like totally opened my mind to a whole new language of cinema and it kind of informed my taste in movies from that point forward and in a weird way. Like, I love that so yeah. much. Had to me is just still just the most fascinating experience and, and immersive experience, you know. This, um, Agreed. I won't tell you how much I paid for the Laserdisc in uh, 1993. <laughs> Probably more than I paid for the VHS. <laughs> Slightly. I paid a lot for the VHS in 1990. 
1993, I believe it was. Price for rental? I worked, yeah, I worked at a video store then, as Mm -hmm. Craig knows, and that's part of the reason I'm such a movie person. Um, And I, we could order films um, Mm -hmm. to to buy. And um, so once you, once you started getting your employee discount, everyone's looking through this huge book that we had to order (laughs) films. Oh, I want to own this and I want to own that. It sounds beautiful. And it was before people were really buying VHS to own, Yeah, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I paid probably fifty dollars for it. Yeah, I, and that's I, that's wow. you know, a person making five dollars and seventy five cents an hour. Uh, I I, <laughs> I want to say I felt like it retailed at sixty nine ninety nine. Would that have been with right. a discount? Yeah, wow, that's with crazy. Discount. That's, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And when I looked it up, um, it had this big black mark next to it that meant it was quote on moratorium, which meant it wasn't being produced anymore. Oh wow! So then wow. I had to call the distributor and say, "Do you have any more of them?" And yeah, it was a big deal when it finally came in. My first time, and we're all friends here, so I'll tell you, you know, I was mm-hmm. the kind of kid that was, you know, trying to get an unscrambled Cinemax to see what they <laughs> show at night. And uh, we didn't have Cinemax, but they showed Head. They did show Head. That's I, how I first wow. saw it. Yeah. My friend taped it from Cinemax. And I taped it from Cinemax scrambled. Oh, my gosh. So I was able to not really see it, but I had the complete soundtrack. And I, I remember uh, I would do this with Monkeys episodes as well. I put it on a cassette. So I knew the entirety oh, of the movie goodness. audio before I ever saw the movie. So it was surreal to finally That's see insane. it the first time. A friend uh, who had who had it uh, taped it and gave it to me. But um, yeah, so the, the whole, and even like, you know, discovering this album first mm-hmm. uh, with all the dialogue is a real crazy way to kind of enter into the movie yeah. because you're familiar right. with little bits and pieces that pop up during the movie and you're like, I remember that. You yep. know? Mm-hmm. It's yep. kind of a cool... All, all the way, all of this intertwines is great. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I love about the album is is it's it's the journey of the whole thing. You know, it's it, only it was six my songs, favorite. Me too. Yeah. yeah, it's actually still my favorite. It was the first album favorite. I'd ever heard with that interstitial, you know, lines from the movie, things mm-hmm. from the movies. First thing I'd heard that was like that. That was, was like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was weird to like, you know, when I got the vinyl and you'd pull it out, and it looked weird because it had all these little tracks. And even yeah. on the back yeah. cover, you're looking at things that are four or five seconds. Uh-huh. And like, what mm-hmm. the hell Crazy. is this? Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'll never forget. I'm mesmerized when I, when I drop the needle on it. So good. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It, it, we can thank Jake Nicholson for that, right? He assembled it. We can. Yeah. 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 We can also thank him. I, I, I'm told he brought the weed for the uh, writing session. <laughs> yeah, among many other things, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not entirely sure how to explain this fever dream of a movie. But, I was gonna say I'm looking forward to seeing how you how you verbalize this. Right, I actually I wrote this down. So I put the monkeys. Those who don't know are Mickey Dolan, Davy Jones, Michael Nesmith, and Peter Tork. They deconstruct their image and the superficiality of Hollywood through a series of circular avant-garde vignettes and a host of incredible rock tunes. So it's a little more complicated than that, but that's what I got. I did a presentation in a in a course in grad school on um, on stardom, mm-hmm. and I showed Diddy Diego Warchant. Oh, um, I wow. cut a little piece and I showed it and I talked about them, you know, deconstructing their image and people were just sitting there with their mouths open because they, yeah. they knew I'm a believer of anything mm-hmm. of the monkey. And they're like, what happened? And my instructor <laughs> who was, he's deep, deep into star studies and fan study and all this stuff. He was mm-hmm. like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm so glad you brought this up. Hey, hey, we are the monkeys. You know we love to please. A manufactured image with no philosophies. We hope you like our story, although there isn't one. That is to say there's many. That way there is more fun. You've told us you like action and games of many kind. You like to dance, we like to sing, so let's all lose our minds. We know it doesn't matter, because what you came to see is what we'd love to give you and give it one, two, three. But it may come three, two, one, two, or jump from nine to five. And when you see the end inside, the beginning may arrive. 
it's such a hidden gem of a thing. Absolutely. It's such a, an amazing piece of its time mm-hmm. and in a really important part, I think, of modern new Hollywood history. I just think it's cool. I'm going to sit back and just listen to you guys because I am not the intelligent. We're going to probably do some cinema nerding out tonight. I I, I like it. I love it. it. Yeah, I actually dragged um, about six of my friends to see a screening of this movie two years ago. Um, I've I've actually seen I've seen Head on the Big Screen twice. I saw it once that time, and then a couple months ago I saw it at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They screened it. Um, Damn it! It was the coolest thing. Seeing this movie with an audience is oh, quite I'm an so experience. Of that. <laughs> but it was weird. I bet it is. Yeah. There were, weren't that many people in the Buffalo screening. A couple of them actually flat out told me they're like, that might be one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. That's and, amazing. Um, and it was funny in Cleveland where I saw it at the Hall of Fame. It was almost a full house. It was maybe a medium-sized theater. And you had literally every generation of person there on my right there were two maybe like college age late high school age girls and they knew every word of every song quoted half the movie while it was playing it was it was unreal wow. and then on the other side there was this older gentleman and he actually walked out of the movie about a third of the way through oh, no. <laughs> it was great but so- it sounds like the room yeah uh, yeah a little can, it kind uh, of is the room the musical oh. also known as Hell. yes wouldn't it be great if it became a, a the room kind of thing? I would love it. Oh, or amazing. if it became a stage musical. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine? <laughs> That'd be yeah. crazy. Now you should have saw Megan's face right there. <laughs> wow. I she just, lost herself. I, tra- oh my God. I was transported to a really happy place there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This movie holds up unbelievably well for being such oh. a '60s movie, in every I conceivable agree. way. Yeah. I agree too. It's because it keeps moving the way it does. Like, you know, it's it's because there's so many things going on in it yeah. To, yeah. for me. And look, I'm a simpleton when it comes to things like this. But, yeah. you know. Stop that talk. I'm just saying. <laughs> but you're right. If something were to feel dated or confusing, if the reference right. is a bit lost, we're moving on to something else fairly quickly. Yeah. It sort of mm-hmm. foreshadows in a way some – you know, MTV style editing. It's mm-hmm. not that choppy and fast, but right. you know, it's, it's certainly in that vein or even of like a Sesame street kind of, a, yeah. you know, yeah. vignettes, short things. It's, it's so like, funny it, it's like one step away from being frenetic that it doesn't quite get there. It kind of pulls itself back before it gets too out of control. You know what I kept thinking about the whole time was Pulp Fiction of all things yeah. because of, because of the nonlinear structure mm-hmm. and that movie, you can take it apart and make it into a linear story, obviously, sure. but, and you can't really do that with head, but, right. but it, I, I think it foreshadows that kind of filmmaking that really, I mean, head started something that, you know, this, the, the seventies took and a lot of the new young filmmakers started doing all kinds of interesting things, but I don't think that we had a ton of things that really looked like head. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of say... avant-garde movies, but mm-hmm. I think linear and non-linear storytelling is, it always fascinates me. But yeah, I kept, yeah. kept thinking the first time I saw Pulp Fiction, and I thought of this because you said it's one step away from frenetic, where with the, the first time I saw Pulp Fiction, I think somewhat because of the violence, I walked out yeah. with such a migraine because <laughs> of the violence and, sure. and being so like, wait, Vinny Vega's back and he's de- he was dead in the sorry spoilers if anyone hasn't seen it <laughs> the last 25 years right um but with head it's just this journey and I never mm-hmm. feel jerked around or yeah. you know yeah. it, it doesn't feel like 
craziness for craziness sake. Mm-hmm. It feels like this art for monkey's sake. It is art for monkey's sake. Yes. It's nihilistic in the way they present their persona, which I think yeah, so turned a lot of people off. About, like, from like taking it a little bit from the top of the film, we don't have to mm-hmm. step through every segment or sure. anything like that. But I think it's interesting to to look at. I mean, I wrote this down today when we were watching it again. Mm-hmm. Like the opening sequence is strong and pretty shocking. I remember the first time yeah. I saw it. You know, was I think eighty seven. And I was like, they just died or something. Mm-hmm. Something just happened and make you just jump off a bridge and I feel very uncomfortable. You know? <laughs> and it was a it was a I will say this. Very surprising thing. Yeah, yeah. I will say the first five minutes of this movie are probably my favorite five minutes in all of cinema. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I love it. It just throws you into it head first and the, there's like there's no turning back and the colors and the music and the and what am I watching and I don't know, yeah. something about it, it just it fires on every cylinder for me and I could watch it over and over uh, again. It just takes my breath away every time I see it. I agree. Completely emotional the first time I yeah. saw it. Yeah. And then we go into, I, I don't know what you call, I think listening to the, um, the commentaries today, Michael mm-hmm. Nesmith might've mentioned what this um, is called, but it's not chroma key, but it's that coloring that they're doing of the film. Oh, uh, solarization. The water. Solarization. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of stunning, mm-hmm. you know. I think, yeah, I feel the same mm-hmm. way about that whole sequence. Just like, what's happening to me? I'm here. Yeah. I'm going with you, yeah. you know. And then we go into the whole circle sky, oh, the amazing. the Didi Diego, the circle sky, the war chant, the war images, the war images interspersed with girls screaming for the monkeys, and that is such a powerful thing. It is, you know. And it could, I think, a lot of the critics at the time this movie came out criticize them for comparing the quote-unquote plight of the monkeys to what was happening in Vietnam. People found mm-hmm. that very heavy-handed and kind of in poor taste. Well, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, yeah. isn't interesting? Yeah. Yeah, I, I read a I couple that's, that's reviews. that's a lack that... of imagination to stop at that point. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. 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 Go, for sure. go ahead, Joshi. <laughs> no, no, that, no, that's kind of all I was going to say. But yeah, there's just a couple of reviews that I read from the time, from the late 60s, that were really critical of that presentation. That's super cool that you found those. Yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting too. Here's where I want to do a little myth busting because mm-hmm. you hear you hear the story told often. Um, I think Davy has definitely been one of the storytellers to sort of keep this alive. That that it was rated R because of those images, and that yeah. their fans couldn't go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually I've I've done some research through, and this is why I alluded to going through newspapers earlier because I did I did this again for another project in grad school where I went through. Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago newspapers from November 1968 to find what it was rated. I looked for ads about wow. it. I looked for reviews and everything was general audience um, at that point. Yeah. So I, yeah. So it wasn't that they couldn't go. It's just, they didn't go. And I don't think that they knew it was even happening. Yeah. You the know? marketing yeah. was so I think that the, weird. Yeah. I mean, Bert and Bob were done, you know, mm-hmm. they, they were already talking about easy writer at that point with yeah that with was Jack a priority and the Dennis Hopper. Yeah. yeah and they were they were like okay we made our money we kind of nailed the coffin on this and let's let's go see what we can do to explode Hollywood which is what they were going to do next yeah mm-hmm. and um and they you know this this movie if it had gotten a certain kind of marketing I think it really would have hit um the same people who were going to see 2001 over and over again really yeah, stoned absolutely. they would have gone to see this mm-hmm. yeah you know same year, I believe. Um, same trippy, yeah, I think crazy. So. Yeah. 
But even now, on the DVD, it said rated G, which surprises me. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that one scene alone of, I mean, of that classic shot of, of the, you know, the Viet Cong, yeah. really disturbing. Yeah, it's not a general audience scene. No. You know, even the kissing is a little bit not rated G. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not a sex scene by any means. No, but, but they're getting pretty freaky with that kissing. kissing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're getting freaky with that. Yeah. Um, is that know, uncomfortable? It was when I was a teenager. It is not now. Okay. Because I know yeah. that there are Monkeys fans that have watched this on repeat. Oh, well, that's uncomfortable that thinking oh, okay. about those fans. Okay. I'll say it's uncomfortable watching it with the full theater full of people. It, it, it is uncomfortable? <laughs> yes. When you're watching yeah. it with the general public, it's a little weird. I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, wait, what? what? Yeah. Yeah. What's happening here? It's, uh, you know, to me now, it feels, so, it feels like a natural part of the extending us way past what the show would do and yeah. extending mm-hmm. us into places that are uncomfortable yeah. about what they were and weren't allowed to do and say yeah. on the show and as their personas in the last couple of years. Right. Um, but I, as a 12 year old, 13 year old I was like, I don't want to see them tongue kiss that girl. You <laughs> really? Know? That wasn't exciting to a child. Oh God, no. I mean, I, I did, I certainly didn't enjoy it as a yeah. child. Yeah. Right. But I, you know, I was wondering if it was a, you know, would it be different for me if it was like an Apollonia? You know. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah that's probably. probably. All right. Fair <laughs> but, enough. No, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I had, you know, a huge crush on Davey, as I've talked about. And, you know, and then sort of, I mean, crush is not the right word for the way I felt about them, though. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. then, it, it was just, I didn't think of them in any kind of sex way. I mean, ever. it was uncomfortable for me to see Debbie Gibbs make out with a dude on Street Justice in 91. So I, I understand. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just like, oh, I'm seeing you in a way that, you know. Yeah. I mean, I also didn't think they took drugs. So that's. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the rating and stuff. And I do want to say that in 1968, the rating system was all kerfuffled. Yeah. It was yeah. just, you know, the MPA, MPAA was just starting to be formed. The and the code was, was obliterated. Apart. Yep. Sorry. The, the, the code, the Hollywood code yes. had totally fallen. Hayes right. code. The Hollywood code is starting to fall away because filmmakers are just starting to ignore it and push and put movies out. Bonnie and Clyde was probably the death knell yeah. for it being 100%. such a violent movie, but mm-hmm. also a movie where you rooted for the villains, which was huge. part. That of in code, itself was revolutionary. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that was 1967. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was, it, it was ending. It was all ending. And I don't, um, I don't think that the, the, I think the ratings was in flux. They had sort of like this, G R X thing for a while. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a movie that didn't, you know, there wasn't PG right away and then PG 13 didn't happen until the eighties. Yeah. So this is a movie that was probably hard to rate. And at that time, um, you know, ratings become this big business now, but it was just this still strange area where, um, either it was kind of like your movie's okay or your movie's not okay. Yeah. It was really what they were doing. And they were still messing around with X. Um, the next year, Midnight Cowboy. Midnight would be Cowboy, the first yeah. Movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. to be X rated and win the Oscar. I have seen that. Have you seen that? I have, have you really? Oh, that's a great movie. Really good movie. Do you like that? That is movie, a great Josh? movie. Oh, I love that movie. I just bought oh. the Criterion Blu ray that just came out last month. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can get tear up thinking about that. Such a crazy, oh my God, interesting Joe Buck. movie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> John um, Voight's like heyday, and now he's a oh, crazy it's amazing. Person. Anyway, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> which edition of the blu-ray did you guys watch today do you have that criterion box set that has all the bbs films in it or did you watch the one that came with the series blu-ray it, it's the same transfer oh okay yeah, yeah. it's, it's identical we, commentaries identical but okay. we watched the, 
but we watched the one that came with the the series. Yeah. I do have the okay. BBS, but back yeah, I I was up. only actually asking really because there's there's a couple documentaries in that box set that are yeah very eye opening, especially in terms of how people were responding to film at that time versus television, and you know, mm-hmm. it's just interesting. It is. It's such an interesting, tumultuous period in Hollywood, mm-hmm. you know, where they where I mean, it's so weird. I think it's 19. I think it's the same year. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong that um, shoot? It, it's right around here when the best picture winner is like a big musical still a big family. And you're like, Olive, what? it was well, Oliver 1968. And that was Oliver. Yeah. Yes. I should remember that because I was in that in high school. <laughs> yeah. But um, <laughs> um yeah, so it's so weird to have Oliver, you know, winning mm-hmm. an Oscar when all these movies are starting to emerge and Hollywood is like, I think of it as like this monster that's like sort of breaking out of its chains finally, you know, yeah. but it's a monster. It's going to lumber through the 70s and yeah. leave some destruction and some interesting things in its wake. But I think, you know, in some ways, um, you know, Head is, is a perfect product of that era, but it's 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 a little sad for me because I feel like it slipped through some cracks, you know, because of Bert so. and Bert and Bob I'm referring to are the producers, um, uh, Bert yep. Schneider and Bob Rafelson. They they went on to create BBS, which is their production studio mm-hmm. and produce Easy Rider, easy Five Easy Pieces. Um, yep. uh, Last Picture Show, which is one of my very Last favorites Picture of all show. time. Yes. Yep. Very important movie. Yeah. Um, they're oh, so the other two. Either. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, they yeah. are. And they're and they are the beginning of this new era in Hollywood when uh, independent producers outside of huge studios are bringing movies out that are lower budget. They're not these huge, you know, um, studio anointed big budget mm-hmm. movies with big stars. Yeah. And they're making a lot of money. And these movies are made for younger people, which is interesting and why the monkeys is part of this lineage. First of all, Bob and Bert made all their money from the monkeys that so they could start producing movies. Yeah. And second, they had that sensibility of, I want to produce something for people like me instead of producing mm-hmm. stuff for the older people who supposedly have the money. They were like, we want to make stuff about us and for yeah. us, you know, they were finally the clearing out like the cigar spoking middle-aged white men of Hollywood executives and, you know, taking over these kind of hip, academics yeah you know right exactly and they usher in a bunch of new young filmmakers that now are kind of the old white men <laughs> but you <laughs> yeah, know right, right. at the time it was very exciting people like francis ford coppola yep. and spielberg martin scorsese yeah. peter bogdanovich, peter bogdanovich as you mentioned, yeah. who directed um last picture show yep. and all those guys start emerging and making really interesting different movies that are like nothing you know that has come out of the big hollywood seen before yeah and and like you said head was really ground zero for that entire movement and it doesn't get the credit for that it really lurks in the shadow of easy rider which was the financial Mm -hmm. success and i mean it was an artistic success as well i think it's a great movie but i don't think it's half as interesting of a film as head is i agree i Mm -hmm. i think it's interesting because it launched i think the rock soundtrack yeah forever yeah um but easy router yeah yeah it did i mean this i mean head's soundtrack is you know i I listen to that more every day oh sure yeah but um but it it really launched that like you know different artists together on a soundtrack Mm. and at that time the the um record produce what am i talking about the late late record labels were like sure you can throw our record our song on this i don't care and it would be years later that they're like wait a minute we could make a lot of money yeah 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 hold on you know so now it's be licensed yeah um 
but it was a, it was a pretty different thing to have that that uh, soundtrack come out with Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think but, the majority I mean, of the budget of that film went towards paying for the licensing of the soundtrack. Yes. Absolutely right. Like I think it, I think I read something like it cost them a million dollars, maybe, yeah. to um, license the the music, where it cost them something like seven hundred thousand to make the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's <laughs> yeah. pretty crazy. That's a groundbreaking movie. It's a movie everybody talks about, but it's not one I love sitting through, to be honest. Yeah, it's I might more be a little. In my 2018 eyes, I might be a little bit tired of men's stories. And yeah. Blah, blah, you know? Yeah. I think um, Easy, Riser, yeah. E- blah, blah, blah. Easy Rider succeeds more as just kind of an immersive experience rather than like an accomplishment of storytelling. The scenes where they're riding through, you know, on the motorcycle are gorgeous. And that's really what makes yeah. the film worth watching. But a lot of the social commentary is kind of dried up now and... I don't know. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, no one's going around shooting long-haired hippies anymore. Right. <laughs> right. They're shooting short-haired resistors. <laughs> no, right. please don't shoot any no. resistors. <laughs> but, you know, it's like it, it, the, the enemy is different. And, and, you know, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper aren't young bucks anymore who, you know, <laughs> who mm-hmm. are fighting the system. Right. Um, although Peter, Peter Fonda is fighting the system. He's a pretty badass guy. And I'll watch him yes. do anything. He's kind of underrated actor, if you ask me. But this is not head. I'm right. really tearing off. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, although, I mean, Dennis Hopper makes a cameo in Head in full Easy Rider yes. regalia. That's as, right. Yep, he does. In one of my favorite Comes. scenes of the movie in the cafe. Is that your, one of your favorite scenes? I, Tell me yeah. more about why that is. I don't know. I just, just the energy of the four of them together with that, uh, what's the politically correct term to use? <sighs> They're not transgender, but I guess a crossdresser? Waitress? Waitress. I guess so. It's a waitress. Yeah. It's a man dressed as a woman that we, Female we don't discover that. Yeah. Female impersonator, maybe we can say that. I guess. Right. I, he, I, there's no indication that this person's transgender. No. I think drag queen is a stretch because I don't yeah. think he makes his living. You no, know, dressing no, no. As a woman, and the, and she's not really performing in the camp way that you need to be a drag yeah. queen. But I love the energy of the four of them. I love the bonkers dialogue. And uh, I'd like a glass of uh, cold gravy with a hair in it, please. I don't know. Yeah, I love that. And Peter's sitting there with the Melton, you know, ice cream cone going over his fingers, just staring at it. They delivered the ridiculous dialogue perfectly. And it just works for me for some reason. <laughs> Megan, does it work for you? I find it challenging for sure. I think, I mean, it's kind of in two parts, right? There's the first part yeah. and then we go back and then we have the ending part with the punch, which is so weird and out of left yeah. field. But I, I always liked shining a light on Peter's dummy image it's an interesting moment for peter i think and yeah. it's 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 oh it's lifting the curtain a little bit even though it's all make-believe yeah but it's interesting to see them in the commissary supposedly on paramount's lot or wherever they're supposed to be mm-hmm. um columbia whatever it is and uh, you know sort of hanging around and and uh and it is very snappy they all kick through that dialogue that you're you know that's such a good point yeah and really pop it out they're all really solid actors I they are to say. they do in this and this movie, they are all challenged in different ways, and they really meet those challenges. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I love how violently the movie breaks the fourth wall after he punches her, him, her. Yes. <laughs> like, the whole thing just comes to a screeching halt. You have the handheld camera that's just going nuts, and you have a barrage of cameos from Jack Nicholson and John Anderson yeah. and Dennis Hopper. They all just show up and start doing whatever. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, and I love it. Yeah, you said it. Craig said I. I love that it's going to handheld here. Yeah, it's yeah. it's such a jarring change, and it that is. handheld really cements that. Yep. Yeah. And a you lot of never, that. Go ahead. You're never allowed to get comfortable in this movie, and right. and in any section of it, and think I am watching a movie because in another minute they are going to 
take something apart in front of you. Mm. Right. And a lot of those, you know, the handheld camera work and the jarring tonal shifts, I think, are kind of an homage to like the French New Wave from the early 60s. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I know, you know, if, if you we were talking about early, early writer. <laughs> Easy writer a minute ago, you know, I think Dennis Hopper's trying kind of hard to to be a French New Wave director in some ways. Yeah. And I think all those guys were sort of playing with that, putting that role on, you know, mm-hmm. and, and aping that for yeah. sure. And I think, you know, I think Mike says in the commentary that, that he describes this movie as avant-garde. And I think that's just such a perfect word for it. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Head succeeds in a way better than Easy Rider at that because I don't think it tries that hard. I think it just does its thing and, you know, kind of whatever happens is going to happen. And Right. It's almost more verite, you know, just sort of like everything unfolds and a story doesn't try to push its way through what's unfolding. What unfolds Mm -hmm. unfolds. Head is a journey of colors and impressions and messages and everything coming at you and you just have to go with it. Yeah, I totally agree. The slow sections for me come about two thirds of the way in. The whole part starting from maybe after Daddy's song through maybe after like the meditation in the sauna bit. Mm-hmm. That whole section is kind of a slow point for me. It's really funny you say that because mm-hmm. I was typing up a lot of notes and they end with Daddy song in all caps because that <laughs> is one of the most, that's one of my favorite moments oh, on me film. Oh, me too. Oh, come on. Oh, <laughs> can we talk about Daddy's song for a minute? It is so... I, I told Craig as we got started, I don't know if I can sit through this because it's so emotional. Well, in, oh, yeah, in 2012, yeah. and for those, you know, who maybe are new to Head tonight, um, uh, it's it's sort of a tour de force song and dance moment for Davy Jones singing a song by Harry Nielsen. Mm-hmm. And um, he's dancing with someone who I didn't know for years is Tony Basil. Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. Yes, you're fine. Yes. The choreography is incredible. And we're cutting back and forth between Davy and a black very 60s tux with big, fluffy sort of French ruffly cuffs and a ruffle down the front and a white version of that tux with a black shirt. It, but in, a, and, in an opposite colored room. Yes. Yes. And it's so incredible. That set, it is just. Yeah. The oh. cutting of that scene is unbelievable. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So at the 2012 tour in the fall, um, after uh, Davy Jones's, you know, unfortunate sudden passing in in the in the early spring or, or I guess it was February, late February yeah. of that year, um, they all at one point in the in the sequence they all went off stage and they just showed that um, as sort of a tribute and that was wow. just oh so you know Daddy's song is is wow. even you know before that it was an, this incredible amazing moment in this film but now it's just imbued with that mm-hmm. you know all the weight of of losing davy jones and yeah. this moment of like michael's back touring with them and uh, yeah it's it's it has it has a lot of there's a lot of feels that come out when i see it now by the way speaking of music let me just mm-hmm. throw this out real yeah. quick um we were discussing when we were watching it watching this and i i would have to say if you t- took the top 20 monkey songs <laughs> and maybe even less all six of the main songs from this soundtrack would be in there. Yep, like for sure. they could not have s- struck out with a a most impressive collection of their songs mm-hmm. uh, than yeah. than what ends up in this movie. Every yeah. song, which, yeah, which is why the soundtrack for me as a kid struck me so heavily. Like the the music in it was so good, and the dialogue was so intriguing. Like which yeah. just makes this it, it's 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 you know, just a, a shame that it, you know, wasn't 
what it could have been in 1968 because mm-hmm. looking at it now it, it just it's just such an amazing work but yeah daddy song you know if not you know a great song maybe not the highlight of the album musically but visually as a, a music vignette in the film absolutely in a way the highlight with circle sky sure. being very close if not equal you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah daddy's song always dazzles me and yeah. Rafelson, I guess, subsequent movies he made after that were a lot more low-key, more performance-driven, because Head was such a monster to try and edit and to get perfect that he said he never wanted to make a, a technically challenging movie again if, if he had enough. Interesting. And Daddy's Song yeah, was kind that. of the one song that, in particular, that he kind of referenced as being kind of difficult. Yeah, I can't imagine cutting, physically cutting yeah. film. Physically yeah. cutting that. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. done some video, you know... Um, digital video editing um which i find you know such an interesting challenge but the physical mm-hmm. cutting they used to do i can't i can't even wrap my mind around no yeah it's crazy amazing to me it is but but yes you know i kind of think it doesn't exactly flag for me at that point but it really becomes after daddy song we kind of yeah into the swami and the yeah. a lot of black box back and forth mm-hmm. victor mature mm-hmm. starts showing up it yeah. becomes very hard to like I was trying to track sequences and talk about sequences in my notes and then mm. I was just like forget it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. it's kind of they throw a lot at, at you real fast at the end yeah, it really picks up the pace yeah I guess the parts yeah. that I'm not really too keen on are like Davy in the bathroom and you know the dancing police officer the, the and, cops. yeah 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 so weird yeah and, yeah. The, and the and I do I do like that segment of Davy in the bathroom. I think it's so weird and out of nowhere and horror movie-ish. And I'm a big yeah. horror movie fan. <laughs> so I always want more to happen, actually. I want him to walk through the creepy corridor and have some other creepiness with the eyeball. But um, sure but, I, but I hear you. Like, yeah. there's little bits. Like, I get a little bit um, tired through the, um, I think it's the Golden Boy kind of, um, the Annette Funicello yeah, yeah, yeah. boxing yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um violin playing how did Annette Funicello get involved in this movie I wonder oh my we God. were saying the same thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> how did it's they so plant her <laughs> was she not a pretty big star right at this point was she not like I doing don't know all if this was maybe movies? like on the decline of her career yeah maybe after Beach which Blank, is crazy because you know. she still looks 16 you know, I know. <laughs> oh, absolutely adorable yeah that that seems a little yeah I get yeah. I think my least favorite scene in the whole movie is is actually I mean, I love long title, but Mike's birthday party scene with the whole don't laugh at disabled people and blah, 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 blah. you know, the guy, Tim, Timothy Carey yeah. comes out and babbling and they start. I, I don't know. That's yeah, that's weird. that's a yeah. little much for me. Yeah, he's uncomfortable. It's a strange, yeah. very strange juxtaposition in a movie mm-hmm. with a lot of strange juxtapositions. <laughs> yeah. That's that's an odd one. I do like, I, you know, I got, I gained, you know, fresh insight into that segment, listening to um, Mike Nesmith's commentary, talking about modern art and sort of warhol and there's that sculpture that I've already forgotten the name of. Dodge 38, I think, or something like that? Yes. Klein, Kleinholtz? I th- yeah, I think. Edward Keenholtz. Um, yeah. You know, that's the kind of thing that's totally lost on you if you don't know that it's there. Right. Um, I always wondered what it was. Yeah, like when I saw yeah. the movie Wait, as a kid, it's it's weird. And, yeah. yeah, I just assumed it was like people making out, but they were kind of obscured by either like blanket or maybe some kind of yeah. camera trickery yeah. or something. I, I always thought it was dead bodies. Oh wow! But yeah, because they <laughs> look they're they're not moving. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, I always thought it was dead bodies and something 
sinister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that whole, the, it, it turns into a, a harsh kind of feeling, you know, mm-hmm. with Mike yeah. not wanting the party and, and then Timothy Carey and all that. It's a very, it's an odd segment. I think, I don't think it's a flaw, but I think it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, probably not. It's the a part freak that out like, scene. I can't wait till that. Yeah, a freak out mm-hmm. scene with a weird twist. I would take the song out by itself and hold it on its own as a music video, but everything around it mm-hmm. doesn't really. I t- yeah, I find it too uncomfortable. I, I, I would uh, I would agree with that. It's Are there other uncomfortabilities in this movie for you guys? Like, uh, not necessarily content, but uh, like Mickey talks about in the commentary, <laughs> feeling uneasy during the uh, the boxing scene. Yeah, when he's the... doing the Peter, you're you're always the dummy. Uh, And how he talks about just having felt uneasy with that whole thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I thought that was very sensitive of him. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there any other moments that just kind of... Well, like I said, the punch of the man in a wig. I sort of get it as a a shocking moment after all of this introspection by Peter. Mm -hmm. And then, like like you said, Josh, the way we're violently, you know, crash through the fourth wall after that, I think is Mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, so I wouldn't excise it or anything. Yeah. So I do want to point out that I noticed two actors in the desert who came straight from, not straight from, but they came <laughs> from the television show, which really? I hadn't really noticed before. And one is um, Vito Scotti. He's the, the guy who surrenders his tank. He's supposed to be Italian. I think he is actually an Italian actor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the Case of the Missing Monkey episode of the Monkeys as the evil doctor. I was like, wait, he looks so familiar. Yeah. And then also um, someone who's credited as the Black Sheik in the credits. Um, he's the the psst. yeah the guy who rides up. <laughs> is he riding a horse or a camel? I can't remember. Ooh, good question. Today. I don't remember either. But um, but he's in the I guess probably fairly. Um, culturally insensitive episode of the monkeys called everywhere a chic chic oh um, yeah okay yeah when davy's roped into possibly marrying a chic's daughter no. um he's like the muscle the heavy for the bad guy he does all of the trying to kill the four guys mm-hmm. and i was like holy crap and he's also in this in a really terrible movie if you're a fan of mst3k anybody out there yeah, yeah. he's in he's in girl in gold boots and he's one of the huh. again a heavy um, and there's a moment when he's standing with his boss and another guy who works for his boss and they say, look, it's the Mount Rushmore of ugly, which makes me laugh every <laughs> single time. Um, and I could not believe it was the same guy, but you know, cause he has, he's, it's a modern movie, you know, it's set in the late sixties and yeah. We should talk about like some of the other cameos. Cause we talked about Annette Funicello. Oh yeah. Terry Gar. Mm-hmm. Yes. In her Crazy. first movie role ever. There's an interview with her that I found about how she got involved in the movie. It said that she was in an acting class with Jack Nicholson and he had just written the script for Head. And um, so all the people who were in the class got like little bit parts in the movie. There's a quote that I wrote down. It said, I remember seeing the monkeys for the first time and thinking, well, they're not so great. They're definitely not the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that bit in Mickey's commentary when he said, look at me. I'm, I'm kicking Terry Gar. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Definitely. I think Mickey said, too, she's just kind of underappreciated as an actress. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. Go see Young Frankenstein, you guys, if you haven't watched oh, that recently. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's so good in that. Never saw it. Yeah. Oh, we need really? to watch that this okay. Halloween oh, man. time. Wow. Um, Tootsie yeah. is another one that she was in. Oh, um, my God. Yeah. I totally forgot she's in that. Yeah. See? It's probably <laughs> where I know her from. Yeah. Have oh, you ever seen probably, Mr. Yeah. Mom? Mr. Mom was yeah. right. Oh, yeah. Uh, Frank Zappa was in it yeah. right after yes. Daddy's song. The song is pretty mm-hmm. white. Well, so am I. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great apparently, exchange. Yeah, apparently you can see Phyllis Nesmith in, uh, in really? the long 
title sequence. Yeah. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. They. They. Uh. I. Sh- I should plug uh, the Monkeys Film and TV Vault, which is a website uh, by Mr. Aaron Handy. Has a wonderful. I mean, if you have the original Monkeys DVD sets, all of the um, trivia came from his site. Uh, but he has a great page on head that um, tells you where to find her and all just, I'm kind of scrolling through this and there's a, a, just an amazing amount of stuff to read here. So just go yeah. to his site Yeah. after this episode, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it lists all everybody in the film and, and where they came from. Bob Rafelson in that same interview on the DVD was saying that a lot of the cameos in the movie, like Carol Dota and Sonny Liston, who you know, was in jail for a while. He purposely picked people who are fringe people, um, yeah. you know, similar to like that of the monkeys, like people who have reputations and wanted to highlight them a little bit. And oh, that's really interesting. Give them, a, give them some kind of voice in this crazy deconstruction of Hollywood movie. Yeah, I love that. Here's yeah. one other uh, interesting piece of trivia that I gleaned mm-hmm. from this website. Give me one other person in head that was in a monkeys television episode. There is a third. There is a third? Uh, I wouldn't have known it, but now that I read this... Frank Zappa. Totally... Well, yes, aside from him. (laughs) Um, It was somebody that had a cameo in a Monkeys episode. A cameo? Uh, Yes, I can tell you the episode, and then if that doesn't do it, I can tell you what this person does in the episode. Okay, I'd love to know that. Uh, This is all you guys. I'm not not sure I would know this one. Oh, well. In the chaperone. In the chaperone. Wow. It's not Vic Tabak. No. This person did not get on-screen credit okay. in the episode. I don't know. This person feeds Mr. Schneider a potato chip and asks him for some advice. Is it Valerie? Then pulls his string for an answer. No. Oh, who is that? It is June Fairchild. I oh, was thinking the her. She's the one who's on the, yes. yeah, who's going to jump. Yep. She plays the jumper. Oh, my gosh. As it were. <laughs> That's incredible. Yep. I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I love her faces when they're when she has presumably jumped and been caught by Mickey. <laughs> yeah. Her the faces she's making is there he and Mike are talking are just there's there's so hilarious. many great faces pulled in this. Mickey in the bathroom when they're getting interrogated by the yeah. by the cops. Yeah. Just watch watch his face next time you watch that scene. <laughs> like there are so many bits that you miss before it it was oh. released in high death. Mickey in the desert with the Coke machine. Oh, also Every great. Every face yep. he makes. Yeah, also and great. And he transitions from <laughs> face to what? face. What? Oh, that I, I that's a tour de force yeah. right there. Yeah. To use that phrase again, but I I love him battling that Coke machine. And just you know, just little moments of this film like get me every time where like Mike says you know. He'll never make it through this. Nobody could. And he makes it through and Mike just looks over and then looks back. And just like little crazy <laughs> yeah. great moments like that yeah. are make this movie so great. It holds up so well to repeated viewings. Yeah, it does. It, yeah, there's it, it's uh, it's one of those things. It's like The Simpsons used to be. I remember people saying this about The Simpsons in the first uh, five or six seasons that it rewarded you for watching it over and over because mm-hmm. of the little things that come out yeah. like, when they used to be clever. Yeah. Sadly, not anymore. Yeah. R.I.P. But, yeah. um, yeah. but, but yeah, I just, you know, watching it today, I was just, there was a point when I said something like you said earlier, Joshi, I was just like, this hits every button for me. I think in particular, it's the sequence when um, we're in the factory. It's, it's the end oh, of, as yeah. we go along, and then there's this this bit of hitting a bunch of billboards. And then we go into the factory and this, yep. this factory tour where only Davy is seeing all the crazy things that are happening like in the, the factory. Head falling like the woman's off. head who falls off. <laughs> and then what is yeah. that thing he's drinking? Like that oil he pull, he like gets out of the machine right. and uses it like a water fountain? Well, 
When I was a kid, I thought it was blood. It's obviously yeah. not uh, blood because it's more brown. Than... But it does look like tomato juice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it could have you know, <laughs> meant to be that. I don't know. Or the gritty chocolate river in uh, oh, yeah, um, Charlie Factory. and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, yeah, I, would love, I would love it. Yeah. I would love it. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. I, and I said out loud, he's really drinking that. You know, whatever he just took out of oh, that yeah, town. Yeah, he drinks it. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so we go from the beautiful, lush images, imagery, and as we go along, it's very gentle and contemplative and lovely. And then it's billboard, 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 and mm-hmm. and then into the factory. And it's, it's you know, conjuring these feelings about, like, the pernicious kind of um, effects of, you know, living with advertising in your face all yeah. the time, which, I mean – they couldn't even imagine the the advertising we live with now, but right. it really struck me, you know, today that that felt so relevant. And then into this, you know, this factory and all this weird stuff going on. And then my favorite line of all my lifetime, the tragedy of your times, my young friends, is that you may get exactly what you want. That to me like sums up everything that's happening right now, actually, 100%. in the world. And it comes out of like, wait, what? Why would he even say that? Like, touring them mm-hmm. through this factory and what's going on? Why are they in this factory? Yeah, it's this a completely disconnected make? thought. It is. Yeah. yeah. It is, but in the um, way it also kind of reinforces the juxtaposition of those two scenes of the lush landscapes and then you're thrown into the commercialism of, of America, essentially. Yeah. You know, and maybe yeah, exactly. that's him kind of his way of saying, look around you. You're getting what you want and look what's happening. Yeah. Davey's seeing it. Yeah. Yeah, it's really it's it's so interesting. And then we're we're in the black box and and uh, in and out of it, you know, as we go through the next sequences. But, um, you know, I find that just it really hits. Like I said, it feels very relevant. It feels very before its time in terms of deconstructing and taking a look at the culture we're swimming in. You know, it's so hard. And I, I can't remember who, who coined this phrase, but it's so hard to explain to fish that they're swimming in water, you know? Yep. It's so hard to look at the culture you're in and see how it shapes you and what's going on and how it might affect your future and, and you know, how people live and, are in, you know, are people getting their needs met and stuff like that. And, and that's sort of like my mission in life is to try and help people do that. Um, mm. So that's that scene for me is just sort of like a pinnacle of like, I cannot believe this is on film because it feels so perfect. Mm-hmm. And it's the monkeys right? yeah. doing this, you know? Their, their presence in the film alone adds a whole layer of subversion. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I've always thought this, you guys being the experts, I've always kind of felt that Head is a movie that people who are not Monkees fans appreciate more than Monkees fans. I don't know, I could be wrong, but it, I get an impression that there's a lot of cynicism in the movie and a lot of, you know, kind of taking jabs at their own expense that people don't like to see who are, who are Monkees fans, whereas people who are kind of on the outside looking in... Like, oh, okay, I see where they're getting that. Am I making sense? (laughs) I don't know that I've ever spoken with somebody that wasn't a Monkees fan who's seen this. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's an interesting concept. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, And I wouldn't discount it, but I I don't have any firsthand experience with that. Yeah, I think that's a a fascinating question. And um, I I can see, um, in my experience, certainly I think there are two kinds of fan responses. And one Mm -hmm. is that... I think there is a hardcore group of fans who are like myself and Craig and you who um, get it and are into it, you know, um, for many reasons, because it offers you many reasons. Um, And I think that there are fans who totally reject it on the reasons that you say. I think it skews a little bit toward the boomer Mm -hmm. kinds of fans, but Mm -hmm. 
not necessarily we just we were just with a friend this afternoon who was like i've never gotten that movie and she's you know monkeys fan she's mm-hmm. the kind of monkeys fan though who isn't into the monkeys without davy which is interesting that's true which is oh, i wow. think there's a big contingent of fans like that too. yeah yeah that's we true. went to see uh, the monkeys in 2012 with mike and she was disgusted like we all walked out of there, we were so happy, and she was like, it, "It's done for me. Like I never want to see them again." It's so interesting like, for yeah. her. It was, it was, you know, of course, the year before, she's who I saw them with. Uh, you know, the last tour with Davey, and it was wonderful. But for her, like having Mike wasn't, you know, wasn't a replacement for not for Davey not being there. So it kind of like that that ended it for her. That's really but interesting. She, yeah, but she um. I think she'd only seen Head once, but didn't. And I don't know when it was, but she was like, "Yeah, it didn't didn't resonate with me at all. Didn't get it." But I but I don't really know that she's the kind of fan that would dig into the manufactured image side of the monkey. She's a an episode watcher, and I think that's pretty much where her fandom sits. I, I don't know that she would really dig, you know, far into the symbolism of the movie. But mm-hmm. you know, the next time we get her to sit down and watch it and see what happens yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly the creation of this movie the script was written by jack nicholson yes the that jack nicholson um <laughs> and tell us the story of how they decided to make the movie and how the script came about and how they wanted to make something a little against the grain the the story that i've always heard is that they went to ojai with weed and talked into tape recorders and jack wrote the script from their babbling. And mm-hmm. if there is a monkey's bootleg, I would love to hear. <laughs> it is the tapes of this uh, infamous head weed se- changes, which is what the original working title of, yeah. of the movie was. Uh, weed session. Yeah. Because I would love to. And I remember it was some quote in some book. Uh, uh, and I can't remember the exact quote. And I might even be slightly misremembering it. But Mike said it. And it was something like, you know, Jack got the credit for the script. But uh, it was our grass. You know, some, something like that. I'm sure that I'm sure that there's so much in this movie that that came from them, but he gets credit for you know putting it together in some kind of coherent or cohesive, if you want to call it that, form. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the story that I've always kind of heard over the years. Mm-hmm. The interview that he did on the DVD, I'm, I keep going back to that. He had taken everything that they had talked about on the tape recorder and cobbled together two different scripts and he told bald rafelson he said i have two options here this one script will make the film as huge as a hard day's night but this other one won't make you a penny which script do you want and he chose the second one (laughs) yeah (laughs) i would love to see i I would love to know if that was true right yeah i have my doubts I mean, because even while we were watching the commentary, there are stories that that come up that, you know, I had to say to Megan, how many times has this story been told and how true do you think it is? Yeah. Like specifically yeah. with Davey, like I've heard Davey drove his car through a wall uh, when, you know, first on the lot during the series. And this does I think he said he hit he hits the wall or punches hit a it. barrier. Hit, yeah. Hit and then and then hung it on his wall for years. Yeah. Uh, which is a story that I don't know that I've I've heard it to that extent told. And there are so many stories that have become part of Monkey's lore that I wonder exactly how true they are. So I do wonder if there was a second or, a, you know, a first script, if that's what you want to call it. Um, if so, that's great. And I would have to wonder what a script would look like that would make uh, – 
you know, the monkeys in 1968. Yeah. Uh, uh, as as popular as the Beatles during a hard day's night, right? Yeah. Or bring them back. I was to wondering those, that too. You know that place again because you know at, at yeah. this point, you know the monkeys were absolutely on the decline. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no question about mm-hmm. it. So you you have to wonder what a script like that would look like. Yeah, I had the same question because I feel like anything they would have put out to the general public probably would have tanked. Yeah, regardless yeah, that, of quality. That first script could have been something akin to 33 and a third revolutions yep. per monkey, which Ugh. would be ridiculous. Awful. Just yeah. awful. Ugh. And real quick, let's talk about the music. Um, oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> Porpoise song, which just blows my mind with the solar eyes colors and the mermaids and that little, yeah. the dance that Mickey does is just amazing. But the song itself, I think is far and away Jerry Goffin and Carol King's masterwork. It's uh, no question moving. about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. gorgeous it still brings me to tears every time mm-hmm. i see mickey perform that yeah. he does a he's he can still soar with that song i mean he's a 70 whatever year old man at this point but he can really do it do do it justice he does a beautiful job and he always takes a bow at the end and, and takes his hat off and takes a bow and it just feels like i think i think it moves him still you yeah, know because sure. it is such a gorgeous song how it's, can it not oh mm-hmm. my god yeah, every time I, I think of the song, I think of that Monkey Business picture disc that came out on Rhino in the 80s because this was the uh, the first song on it. And it was – I must have, for some reason, maybe even got that on Christmas as well. I remember just for some reason I related with that album. But hearing these kind of murky versions of it uh, on records over the years until they found the, the masters to use, uh, just, you know – a masterwork in the monkeys catalog stands yeah. stands really high yeah. against uh most of it uh, davies harmony mm-hmm. on that perfect oh. to, to mickey's vocal which is perfect like yeah. everything about it is just totally yeah. totally what uh, in the right place yeah yep. you know? i saw them perform it in 2000 uh, 2001 tour we were all talking about a while ago yeah um that wasn't the best and there were drunk baby boomer ladies like on each side of me <laughs> screaming but they did Porpoise Song, and I was just reduced to tears, yeah. jelly in my seat. I, it's the first mm-hmm. time I'd seen them do it, I think, that yeah. I can recall. Yeah, I think um, they, the first they couple were tours. amazing they, together. Yeah, it took them many tours to do it. I don't mm-hmm. think they started doing it until I saw them in 90 – it had to be 96, mm-hmm. um, right before Justice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe it was that tour, actually. Maybe it was the tour when they came to the U.S. right after 97. Uh, it was the first time I think I saw them do it. Uh, but yeah, didn't do it in 86, 87, 89. No, no. Um, and, but, but did everything, almost everything else they did as we go along oh, in 89. Um, he was doing long title in 89. Can you dig it in 87? So daddy's yeah. song they hadn't done, mm-hmm. I don't think. Um, or porpoise song circle sky they did in 87. Uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, crazy. Yeah. Uh, circle sky, I think is a banger.
really the only footage we have of the monkeys playing a complete song live yeah. in their original era. Yeah. Which is nuts. It really is. Nuts. And yeah. what else is nuts is not one single Beatles movie features a live performance of the Fab Four. But we have wow. a live performance of the monkeys in their in their only feature film. That's true. Unless unless you count Let It Be. I, I don't really count Let It Be. But who would who would count that? Yeah. <laughs> right. I agreed. It's a pretty crazy irony. Yeah. It is. It's that's pretty nuts. Mm-hmm. It ugh. Um, and I, I have to give props to George Michael Dolenz. He's really, he's wailing on those drums. He's so good. And he's really coming into his own, I think, as a drummer at that point. And, and uh, it, uh, he's just, he's great. There's another tragedy about the monkeys thing. You know, like Peter talks in the commentary about how he was already out of the band by the time the premiere happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just like, they're, they're gelling so well here. And even yeah. like the, the, the version of Circle Sky used on the soundtrack is a is a kind of substandard studio version, uh-huh. and it I can is. understand. You know, there's 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 kind of back and forth about why this version wasn't on, on the record. I, I think it would be weird if the live version was, maybe, mm-hmm. but maybe not. I mean, you have half of the album is dialogue. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it wouldn't really be out of place either. I wouldn't have yeah. minded the studio version. I just th- that particular oh, mix yeah. it's just atrocious. You can't even yeah. hear the vocals. Yeah. It was yeah. really, it was really mixed to be uh, unaccessible, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Much like the marketing campaign. Maybe yeah, true. Right, right. Accessible. But yeah, the uh, live version, a scorcher. Oh, uh, totally. Look for the uh, upcoming book, uh, Mixing Links: The Monkeys on Disc, <laughs> to find out uh, more about the various mixes of the live version that have happened over the years. You can also find a uh, uh, the excerpt on the website mixinglinksbook.com. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on Can You Dig It? Love it. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> Would you care um, to let it show? Yeah, I, 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 I think uh, it was the right choice for Mickey to sing it. As yeah. much as uh, I enjoy uh, having seen Peter do it over the years and enjoy that early version with him on vocals, Mickey doing this is really kind of magical. Yeah. You know, he's he's just got the it's it's right in the kind of smooth pocket of Mickey's voice. Oh and God, his voice is so good and in so 1968. Good on yeah, it's it really is. Yeah. yeah, it was a top oh. form. Always changing inside What does it become? Can you dig it? Do you know? We were talking about any any uncomfortable parts in the movie, and I will say that sequence isn't one of my favorites either. It is and yeah. it isn't because I love the song so much. That segment almost sounds mm-hmm. like the feels like the episode everywhere, chic chic with yeah. clearly Caucasian women in Middle Eastern outfits, belly dancing, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're great at it, but as a human woman, it's not sort of my favorite thing to watch. Right. I guess like because and it's not a Does it's it not a sex thing. It's not that I don't oh. think they're gorgeous. I just it feels gratuitous. Yeah. It's not super gratuitous. It's just it, it doesn't hold my interest for more than a minute. Yeah, I'm just kind of like, ooh, those beads are really pretty. Yeah. Um, but it's just one of those things where I feel like, I, I yeah. don't know. I don't yeah. know what else you do with the the segment. And I think the I think the um, commentaries don't help when you know Mike's like, I was so full of lust and I just I was hitting on all of yeah. them and I'm just like, I don't want to know that. True. Yeah, that's kind of unfortunate. Yeah, I do yeah. love in that sequence though how they layered the um they had like a couple layers of image on each other. Yeah, so yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. Get, There's a lot to look at. 
you know, you see like it the sparkles is. flying around, and and you can yeah, look at their expressions. It's not that bad. It's not that bad, but it's it's one of the places. It's not where a I... highlight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I don't know that I call it a highlight. Yeah. yeah. But the song, absolutely. The song's a highlight. It is. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Megan's third favorite. Right now. As we go along. Yeah. There's a, well, I mean, first of all, five, four, say. time, three, yep. four, six, eight. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're killing me, Carol King. Yeah, it goes in a lot of good places. Man, she's a genius. Yeah. Oh. She she it's just the most astonishing songwriter to me. Front row in 1989, and you know these were the days before you could go online and look at what the set list for a show would be. Mm-hmm. So going to see the Monkees in '89 after two years, you didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And when they started, as we go along, I lost my shit. Oh, I bet. And Mickey kind of came out to the front, and I'll never forget. After every time he uh, he sang the chorus, uh, "Firelight." He just gave this smile to the crowd, and the crowd oh. went nuts. Oh. And it was, oh, my God, it was such mm. a moment. That's another one where he really connects with the song and then with yeah. the audience when he performs that live. Yeah. yeah. So powerful. Yeah. I love, too, that the song is kind of seeing a renaissance in a way because it, they use it in, the, yeah. um, in Lady Bird. Oh, really? It's in yeah. a commercial. I remember yep. coming home one night, and oh, it was on God. the TV, and my sister was watching TV, and I was like, wait, wait what? I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Yep. Holy moly. Yeah, it's in the, it's oh, in the commercial. That makes, that makes me so happy. That's yeah, wonderful. I love it. We talked about Daddy's song, Harry Nielsen. Mm-hmm. But great. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, it's great. I think I love the lyrics more than the song itself. Yeah, It's I, kind I of thought-provoking, yeah. But there was something intriguing about it when I discovered it as a kid. It was like that horn that horn riff was was interesting to me yeah. in a way that I can't quite put my finger on. It was like one of those things where it's like a song I shouldn't have liked, but then like <laughs> yeah. days later I would be thinking like dun, 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 dun. I was like, right. well, that's the one that's sticking with me. Because you think mm-hmm. it's going to be this like silly dance hall, you know get your cane and do your, you know, but much like cuddly toy, all of a sudden it's taking you somewhere so much deeper Yeah, yeah. and you feel really funny Yeah, and kind of worried about the songwriter a little bit. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, <laughs> And then you, of course, as we talked about earlier, the visual presentation in the film is just out of this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Basil. Yeah. Tony Basil. Who also choreographed it, yes? 
Yes, she did. I so. yeah. And she was Brilliant. in most of the BBS films. I know she was an Easy Rider. I think she was yeah. in five Easy Pieces. She's one yeah. of the prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad Mike didn't and sing the song ultimately. Karen Black. Oh. Yeah, Karen Black. Yeah. yeah, I enjoy hearing it, but yeah, definitely, it's definitely not. It's Davy's song. It's Davy's yeah. song. 100%. No, well, it's Daddy's song. But. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as as Mike said, in, again to reference that commentary, but he said it this so beautifully that uh, that being a song and dance man was something that he aspired to, but it was Davy's avocation. Yeah, and um. You know, it it did. It ran through his blood, and and this song is in his performance is a, just such a beautiful tribute to him. Yeah, and it's interesting that that Mike kind of has that viewpoint. And then I think, well, he wrote like my share of the sidewalk, mm-hmm. so yeah. he's got that in him. You he know, does. you don't think of uh, Mike as a song and dance man, but maybe you know, yeah. maybe it is there. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And Craig, your fourth favorite long title. Do I have to do this all <laughs> over again? <laughs> Peter Tork's masterpiece. Perfect. Yeah, it's perfect. It's it's just such a great little rock song. Do I have to do this over again? Didn't I do it right the first time? Do I have to do this all over again? How many times do I have to make this fun? Didn't I? It's so weird. I just every time I think of these songs, I just think of discovering this record for the first time. But I mean, just right off the bat, that bass line during the mm-hmm. intro is is killer. Yeah. The lead guitar just screaming, and then like um, you know, even like the middle, the dun 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 which is kind of like a a really cool interlude. Like it is. the song. Yeah, you know, anybody that you know uh, are going to trash the monkeys as songwriters or musicians, like. This song is better than most 60s output. And it was written by one of the monkeys, which is like, come on. Yeah. And out of all the monkeys, it was Peter Goddamn Peter Torque. This is one that has evolved for me that I think probably at least in part because of, as we talked about earlier, the uncomfortable sequence in the film at the Mm -hmm. party that I would sometimes skip over the song. It felt complicated and it felt a little, just just a little harsh. Um, But as I've, as I've gotten older, um, it's it's just opened up and exploded for me. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see Peter on his in this generation tour. And oh. It was just him and his guitar and the keyboard some of the time. Do this, um, and even with his somewhat reduced voice at this point because of his tongue cancer issues and all that, you know, thank God he's okay. Yeah. Um, but he, the obvious joy he took in performing this, just him and his guitar, it was really really bang banging. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Performance. Yeah, I saw him in 96 play an acoustic show with James Lee Stanley, but oh. uh, he did a, you know, a set, his set was by himself. And I think they came out at the end and did some stuff together, uh-huh. but he came out and he sat down and uh, he kind of did his uh, concentration thing and he was sitting there silent for a second. And then he's like, there's nobody else on stage, but he counted it off and he was like, <laughs> one, two, three, four, one, da, 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 and he started doing long title. And I was like, oh, he's opening with long title. This is the best thing ever. <laughs> and I, I, a funny anecdote about that show uh we recorded it on a maxell xl2 on a oh, yeah. uh, cassette recorder and uh we had him sign the cassette and mm. my my friend's boyfriend handed it to him and said yeah i just made this tonight and peter's like no i made this tonight <laughs> which i thought was a, a very 
a very good retort. Oh, he's very sassy. The same show yes. where I saw him, people were, it was a very intimate space. Yeah. And people were just way too into shouting things at him, and he was not having it. Good. And I was like, I wow. him a thousand yeah, times for more him. for, he kept saying, I'm up here yeah. to people. This is my time. I love it. So, That's yeah, awesome. It I love it. Yeah, they were heckling, but they were doing that like, play this, and oh. do that, or singing along. He did not want people singing along. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. He's a character. Good on him. Now, do you have the uh, the alternate head record, like the vinyl album? Yes. Uh, yeah, I yes. gave that a spin the other day, and the original acetate demo is pretty interesting. Uh, uh, for, long uh, title, for long, long title. title. Yeah. 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 You know what? It's funny. That acetate demo was on a bootleg that uh, my monkey's friend in high school, Dawn, uh, we shared every monkey's thing together, uh, good and bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, during my high school days. And she had gotten a bootleg of a whole bunch of monkey stuff, pre-missing links. The acetate was on this uh, uh, cassette, and she thought it was Mickey singing. And for years, I thought it was Mickey singing because Peter's a, do I have to do, you know, a real scratchy kind of <laughs> vocal on that version. Um, so it was nice to hear after, you know, of course, layers of crud removed off this bootleg that I heard mm. that it was actually Peter singing. But yeah, those, um, there's an early mix of a uh, long title on the birds bees box. Also, that's got a prominent Davy backing vocal, really, which you can kind of barely hear mm. in the film and on the album, but wow. it's, it's like a didn't I? And then Davy's like, didn't I, didn't I? And, uh, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Really cool. I'm going to have to check that out. I don't have that box set. I don't know if that's it's a tough one to get. I was going to say, I don't think it's readily available, but. Yeah, we were just talking about that before we started tonight of how that one and the the mono LP for also for birds bees are like these grail, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. items. They just are really hard to grab anymore. Yeah, yeah, for, for less sure. than three hundred dollars. Yeah, right, right. So, any overall thoughts on the film in general from both of you guys? Like, just kind of, I guess, closing, closing thoughts, parting thoughts. Wow, <laughs> anything well, like I've that? I've said a lot <laughs> <laughs> tonight. Um, I think. Uh, you know, I'll just just circle back, circle sky, circle back to my. Um, the movie music. is cyclical, also. It is, so it's perfect. And I disagree uh, with the the idea that people say you can start it anywhere in the movie and then let it play, because I think there's a clear arc to the story. I think you need to have those bookend scenes to really make the movie work, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Uh, again, I think it's such a fascinating piece of of music history, movie history monkey's history i love that more people are seeing it now i feel like you know like you mentioned the screening at the rock and roll hall of fame and Mm -hmm. um and uh i am so happy i was so happy when that bbs box included it because i think it is a really important part of their story yeah um i love criterion to do a standalone release of head though yeah yeah i think that'd be great Oh, I mean, I, I love that because I think it deserves that respect, although I'm not sure what they could do with it that they haven't already included with it at this point. Sure. Yeah, that's you know? true. We all seen the uh, extra stuff on the Blu-ray box, mm-hmm. which were a bit of a holy grail for collectors. Mm. Um, and it's kind of a mixed bag of stuff. There's, you know, it's it's a considerable amount of things. Mm-hmm. But like it's, you know, this what you see isn't stuff that would have fit into the movie and given it any sort of more weight but you know the the one thing that is fascinating is there's a trailer 
one of the trailers, I can't remember, there's an action trailer, New York trailer, I never remember which one's which. Mm -hmm. But there's one that really is just a, it's like one or two second sequences cut uh, from the movie um, into this long collage. But there's maybe a 10% in there that are scenes that are not in the film. I think I saw uh, that is, trailer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been on it's been on there since the Rhino DVD back mm -hmm. in the 90s. Um but some kind soul on the YouTube has done an edit that's just the scenes that are not part of the movie, which is really oh, wow. cool to watch. Um Is that like the clown thing? The the clown thing was something else. There's okay. a um there's a little bit of that on the Blu-ray box, but there was um if I remember this correctly, that in Tiger Beat or Team Beat or whatever, there were scenes where they're looking in a mirror and Peter like uh, is is wearing a clown outfit. Mm -hmm. um, and these stills exist um, and were printed in these magazines. And I think mm -hmm. in the Blu-ray, you might see them kind of doing the dialogue for that scene. But I don't remember actually seeing uh, Peter as the uh -huh. clown. So okay. I don't know that that film footage exists. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of it looks bad. There's some of it that's just yeah, not. Yeah, but I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> any of us paying $200 for a Blu-ray set to get yeah. the entire Monkey series isn't going to complain about, well, some will. <laughs> uh, and some did. Yeah. Uh, complain about the fact that head outtakes are a little too red. <laughs> come on. There is one thing I want to say, and I, I mentioned this um, during every monkeys related thing that we do or do with somebody else mm -hmm. that when I became a monkeys fan, you got to remember monkeys CDs didn't start uh, coming out until 1987, uh, 1986 when then and now came out. And then 1987, the album started to come out and it wasn't until 1994 that all of the albums were released. So there were, you know, a good five, six years where, me as a monkeys collector that was now part of the CD era, I got my first CD player in in 1987. Mm -hmm. That the monkeys catalog would never be, you know, complete on compact disc. And of course, 1987 was the year where the entire Beatles catalog was released, and it was a big deal, and it was on the news, and yeah. it was what what made me ask for a CD player for Christmas. And the Monkeys catalog just never got that kind of respect. And it kind of, you know, little bits and pieces there. And we'd have to buy this Japanese compilation to hear the later songs because mm -hmm. Head wasn't on CD. Instant Replay, Present, Changes, Birds, Bees wasn't even on CD. Wow. I'm sure and you could get Pool It, though. <laughs> you, know, you, could get, you could get Pool It in great digital sound. It's wonderful. <laughs> but it's nothing like a gated snare in digital sound. That's totally. true. Um, but... You know, to, to see where we are in 2018, and I just have to always give a shout out to Andrew Sandoval, who's been the Monkees archivist, yeah. wrote a great book about their sessions, and has produced all of these box sets. The amount of material that we've gotten um, involving the Monkees is officially released is bigger than what the Beatles fans have gotten from Apple. And it mm -hmm. is crazy that... It, it is completely turned around to that. It is, it is an embarrassment of riches uh, to the point where uh, a friend of mine and I need to write a book to catalog it all. <laughs> um, it, it, for, and you know what? The music throughout just stands up, and it's so good. You know, it's mm -hmm. a catalog that that brings me immense joy. But it, it can't be overstated that, like, you know, what Monkeys fans have been given in terms of volume 
is absolutely incredible. And that man deserves all of the credit in 2018. Uh, he keeps it going. And uh, he's really the reason that, that Monkees fans have everything they do. So uh, I will always, 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 whenever I'm talking about the Monkees, thank Mr. Andrew Sandoval for absolutely. being such a huge part of it and, and keeping it alive. Because if yeah. it wasn't him... We'd be getting these, and I, I don't want to piss on Rhino, and probably shouldn't say this, but we would be getting, you know, lackluster compilations, yep. um, you know, to appease the the person, you know, shopping the five dollars section at Walmart. Right. Yep. And the monkeys deserve so much more, and because of him, we've gotten so much more. So I, I will always thank him. It's true that the, the monkeys catalog has been treated probably better than any other catalog in all of pop music it's it's up there yeah it's up it, it there really is. it's so mm-hmm. so complete compared yeah. to so many artists yeah, yeah. i mean there That's were amazing there are enough people that complain about buying having to buy this album again you don't have to right and <laughs> if you know i'm sure you can find the this version of this song on youtube if you care that much about it you yeah. know it, it's oh yeah the people complaining about being given more monkey stuff is something that has always puzzled me. It, yeah. it, you do not have to own this. Right. But please do <laughs> own the, the book do. that will be coming out. That's right. Yes. Uh, mixing links, the monkeys on disc. <laughs> if eventually. you'd like more info on that, you can check out our episode when the flu race that came up, we really talked about that in detail about the ideas of fan entitlement and, Oh yeah. And products mm. and, producers and seizing the means of production i'm kidding we didn't talk about marxism but we well, talked about you know it this in depth because we, we feel really passionately about supporting artists and, and, and that and, they don't owe us a goddamn thing and we hit this uh this again during the gene simmons that's vault right. uh yeah. that's right yeah another flavor you know, of that yeah which uh <laughs> you know an artist can charge whatever they want yeah. for a product and mm-hmm. you can afford it or not yeah so there I, you go yeah. monkey's head, head. jesus <laughs> Stop what it's you're doing movie. and watch the movie. It's on YouTube. Right. It's VHS quality, but it's better than nothing. Is it? It is. Okay. Yeah. And you know, there's always talk about the original cut of head being over two hours or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Another thing I don't know that I believe. Yeah. Just because you would think that if there was a two hour cut at some point, there would be a dub of it somewhere. You would think yeah. so. Like I, yeah. Yeah. I've gotten dubs of, you know, director's cuts of movies that never ended up getting released any other way mm-hmm. um am i the only one that bought a, a director's cut of the vhs of blair witch project probably <laughs> wow. um yeah I, I i would think that there would be more that would have survived if that was the case i think that might be a little bit of lore or i could be mm-hmm. completely wrong um but like i said you know these stories sometimes just over the years become stories and yeah. mm-hmm. you know uh, there were Legends. many many of us that thought that head was rated r because a member of the monkeys thought it was so you know i'll always take that kind of stuff with a grain of salt but yeah yeah a great a great movie uh and so glad that you asked us to be part of this oh my god because there's we really should have had something going by now (laughs) there's nobody else i would want to talk about this movie with than you two guys because you guys are just an unbelievable wealth of, of knowledge and and information and personality and fun and it's just been this has been such a huge huge honor and a huge joy and a thrill to do this so to finish out with some promotion don't forget to subscribe to movies that rock if you'd like to hear more to get in contact with the show send me an email at movies that rock pod at gmail.com or you can tweet at me at rock movies pod 
I've gotten some great feedback so far, and I'm looking forward to opening the mailbox on the air soon. For more Craig and Megan, subscribe to the Pods and Sods Network, where you'll also get a variety of music-related shows for all tastes. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate if you left a review on iTunes to help others find the show and to help us make it better. It's all about you guys, and all constructive feedback is welcome. Bye, guys. Thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. before the venom reaches my heart. Okay, I will. <laughs>